Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We have a special guest. I've been following this guy for a while now. He doesn't know this, but I've been following this guy for a good minute now and realizing just the trajectory that he's been going and really the deals he's been taking down. It's pretty crazy and impressive to watch. But what is very exciting behind this is that a lot of people out there make things complicated. They hire on a ton of people. They build up real estate portfolio and get more stressed, right? They make it more complicated when it doesn't need to be. Dave has been a prime example of doing big deals, but really simplifying it, simplifying real estate. And the market that we're in right now, the transitions that are going on, it's very imperative to be thinking ahead, but also positioning yourself properly and not going after all the craziness out there. There is some awesome things that I want to cover today, but Dave's been in the game for 10 plus years, over 100 deals or 100 units he's got just hanging on to himself. And he's really just simplified the game. So Dave, what is happening, man? How are you today? You got a beautiful background, by the way. Yeah, I'm waiting for the snow. Kids are on a snow day today in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're supposed to get six to 10 inches. We'll see. Let's go. Do you, do you ski or snowboard? Uh, I love snowboarding. I don't get out there very often. I got to go to Colorado, which isn't a huge trip, but I haven't been in like two years, but I love to snowboard. Yeah, I I totally skipped last year, but my best friend lives in Vail and we usually make it a a yearly thing. They've been getting a lot of snow. I need to get my butt over there this year. Yeah, likewise. But talk to me, anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, where you're from, what you're up to, do you mind just diving in that 30,000 foot view of what you're up to in real estate? Yeah, I've I've been in a full-time real estate investor for about 10 years. Before that, I was in the construction field. I mean, I started when I was probably 17. I got lucky and was working for my shop teacher during the summer. Yeah. We were like doing add-ons. I'm from Johnson Lake, Nebraska. It's a real small community in the middle of Nebraska. But uh, we were doing additions and construction projects on these houses on a lake and he starts turning around and like selling them a year or two later. And he's making like six figures on these deals. I, I, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. But I figured out like right out of high school, as I left high school, I was like, that dude was flipping some houses and making some real money on the lake. But I was just in the construction field. I went to college briefly, had a kid right away in college unexpectedly. So like, I just, I finished school, but my degree is like in electronic technology, which I have no interest in really. Yeah. Just trying to get in computers because it was a rush back in 2000. Yeah. And uh, I just like the construction field. So I've always been in the construction field until about, I started my own construction company in 07. Mm. Another guy, and we were doing, we were doing rent readies for a guy who had 19 college rentals here in Lincoln. Yeah. And this interesting scene, like, all he did was go golfing every day. And we go in, you know, we go in after the college kids kind of throw out these places, but he had a nice little system, like no carpet in the houses, wood floors, old school. And we would do the turnarounds and do some maintenance on that back when I was 25, 24. 
Sure. It was great seeing all that. And I just kind of paid attention. And then finally I learned, I went to a seminar and about wholesaling houses and my mind was like blown. It's like, oh, I can do this on my own. And like, I just happened to like do my first general contracting gig where I hired somebody out to do a job and like made like a thousand bucks. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. I didn't have to trade my time for money. Yes. I just happened to do that. Like right before I went to this seminar that I got on the radio. Yeah. So I of course bought the upsell on the seminar, went to another one. And I was like, wow, you know, I, this, I believed everything they were saying. I was like, nobody was doing it in my area. And so I like, whatever I got to do, charged a bunch of money on a credit card, went in a bunch of debt because I was excited for it. And of course it took like way longer than I thought, but then I just slowly morphed into wholesaling houses and kind of took off from there. And now I've done hundreds of deals, flipped a lot of houses and flipped a lot of multis. Now I mainly just do multifamily. I've wholesaled a lot of multifamily, but I also buy and hold multifamily. And I like the townhome asset class to keep, but we do a lot of apartment deals now. Yeah. But it wasn't always apartment deals, right? Like in the beginning, you just kind of got the bug of doing some wholesaling in general and and really not trading your time for money, you know, being that middleman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started in debt, so I had to wholesale to figure it out. Sure. And like I had no money. And I think that's the best way to start with no money. Cause if you can make money in real estate with no money, yeah, like you don't have no crotch. I mean, you a kid inherits a couple hundred thousand dollars and wants to get in real estate. Oh, yeah. I started as a crutch because like, oh, I can just go buy this house now. Like I, I didn't have that opportunity. So I had to learn every aspect to figure out how to buy it right. Well, and, and it most- takes care of itself. And in most cases, somebody that starts off with a couple hundred thousand, they'll probably be down to, you know, starting with zero pretty soon anyway, from yeah, the, yeah, I mean, the simple it's, mistakes that you make. Yeah, it's a crutch, honestly. Yeah, I love it. So that is some, you know, crazy timing right there, obviously, like you just got the, that wholesaling with the contracting. And I didn't know about your contracting background, first off. So I've always seen that it's almost like a, a different personality type. It, it's a it's a different way of thinking, really, when you're working with your hands on a regular basis versus the investor mindset. You want to speak on that for a second? Just because I feel like a lot of real estate investors over time get screwed over with contractors for miscommunication or just transparency and so forth. And how did you kind of bridge that gap? I mean, it was very tough and it took yeah. years to like, and I was still doing contracting and like it took a long time to, to kind of switch my mindset and. I don't know. I guess I'm over it now. Like I just kept going with my gut and like, I would be working with my hands and doing these projects and be like, I know how to wholesale houses. Like, what am I doing? Diving in and framing these basement, like right now, when I know I can wholesale houses. So like it was, it was years of transitioning out of that mindset, but I mean, contractors, they, their mind is busy. Like none of them know how to invoice. Yeah. Almost all of them overpromise and underdeliver. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hard role to kind of play. But if you can find the right person, like the right contractor, and then have the right leadership, I guess, to be able to guide people and, and have, you know, strong communication throughout the whole time, then, you know, you can always work things out. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to just set parameters. Like, number one, with a contractor, he says, yeah, I'm going to be done in two weeks. Say, okay, that's great. You know, what happens if you're not done in two weeks? Yes. Almost all of them are going to be done in two weeks. 
Oh like, yeah. Like a good buddy of mine. I mean, I was at his wedding, like he just does gutters. And one time he's like, yeah, I'll have this gutter done by, you know, Friday. And I was like, well, what happens if it's done? Oh, it'll be done. Okay. Well, if you're so confident, we're do a hundred dollars a day late fee. And he's like, all right. And yeah, yeah. So I got, got it for like uh, 70% off. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, I went to Vegas. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, Not my problem. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes with that case, because when it's always a negative result, sometimes they get like a little clenched up and they start feeling like not necessarily aligned with the job anymore. But if you put a positive on the other side too, to make it fair, like, hey, so you said you're going to get it done in one week. If you end up getting it done in, you know, in five days or whatever, then I'll give you that bonus, right? I'll give you some money on top of that. I mean, yeah, I'd be careful getting them in a hurry, but that's true. Anything to just get done on time. Yeah, yeah. Please <laughs> just get, get done, done on time, man. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want people cutting corners. That's good. Yeah. You pay a contractor right away, you know, and he gets some on time. You pay him, you know, that day. That really helps. Like contractors yeah. are always behind schedule. They're always behind. But if you, you're the guy who pays them on time, right? When they say you don't take no time, that, that helps out a situation. Now, you know, I know you originally went into credit card debt to be able to actually pull off and get the education you needed and start your career. I know obviously it's panned out now, but back then when you were going through the mud, right? And you were going through kind of that that grit phase and, and growing. Um, was there any regrets during that season? Well, suck while I was in it. Yeah. yeah it always <laughs> sucks when you're in it, right? Like, it sucks. Like, I, you know, I'm just <laughs> barely squeaking by on my minimum payments, you know, just grinding. But like, there's definitely no regrets because I think that's the only way I knew that would push myself to do it because I've lived a pretty yeah. comfortable life. My parents are great parents. They're still together. They're going to celebrate like probably getting close to their 50th anniversary. They're probably on like 46, 47, somewhere in there. Let's go. Like, I mean, brother and sister, they were great. A small community. I mean, it just yeah. came from a loving family, you know, and I was comfortable. My dad gave me allowance early. Like I always kind of have money and and I was pretty responsible. My dad taught me responsible things with money. So I didn't have like a lot of struggle. So I basically created it for myself. Yeah. But I saw all these other successful people. I was like, man, that guy's been through way more than me, way more than me. All of them have been through like a harder struggle than me. So I kind of set it up like that because I knew if I could, I knew I would figure it out. I'm not going to die. Yeah. Like, aren't going to starve. Like my parents would probably help me out if I really, really needed it. I didn't want to go to them just because I've been kind of an independent person, but yeah, but like, you know, you go through, I forced myself into struggle because I knew I'd become better and I knew I'd figure out how to wholesale one way or another that way. Yeah. Respect, man. I love that. I love that approach, you know, realizing where you came from and you need to go through more grit, right? You see other people struggling. So you're like, screw it. I'm going to throw myself in the fire. I'm going to figure it out. That's how I'm going to figure it out. Right. When the pressure is against you. You got to burn the boats. Take the island. You got to burn the boats. That's good. That's good. Cool. So talk to me when it comes down to wholesaling multifamily, what kind of deals are you going after? What size? I mean, now I'm not afraid of any size. I mean, we did a $13 million deal, 171 units last year. Um, I did a really good little 36 unit deal that worked out good last year. We're I'm chasing this. Oh, I think it's going to be around a hundred million. We'll see what they want to sell, but it's a bigger deal with a bunch of different stuff, townhomes and multifamily. So I'm not really scared of any deal as long as, you know, I can glance at it and the numbers work. Yeah. I'm always talking to new syndicators 
and old syndicators, seeing what they're buying and just kind of testing the market. Right now, I mean, it's completely switched. Like when I started, I literally used bandit signs. We buy houses and I get calls all the time. Yeah. And just like no buyers because it was like 2010. Yep. 2011. And it's now I'm, I'm switching my focus into trying to find more buyers and trying to find more cash and to fix this rising interest rate problem. I mean, rising interest rates and new buyers are the biggest problems I think we're heading into. So that's where my main focus is right now. New buyers and interest rates. Okay. Talk to me about that with the with the interest rates. You know, obviously that kicks a lot of people out of the game, right? Especially when it comes down to these big deals, it ends up being tens or hundreds of thousands more, right? So what does that look like when it comes down to, you know, Nobody's got that crystal ball, but there's been a lot of people in the financial space believing that the interest rates are going to come down eventually sometime this year. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think they're going to keep going up like immediately, but they might come down by the end of the year. But who knows? But I mean, it's a problem. So you're looking at ways to solve that problem because they're definitely, I mean, the amount they went up was pretty insane to go up like 100% if you look at it from a percent standpoint. Oh, yeah. One, you're looking for guys with a lot of cash. I mean, we're looking at Middle East money. I mean, my girlfriend, Mary, she's over in Qatar and those guys have real money. So, I mean, whenever I look at any deal, it's well, one, you're going to look at more buyers with cash or syndicators that are really good at raising money that have cash to deploy. Yep. And two, you can flip it to get an owner finance deal. I mean, what are these owners, what are they going to put their money into? I mean, maybe they want to, owner finance is huge right now. Sure. Want to try to squeak as much owner finance or a seller carry back as you can. Yeah. The big thing is who it's worth the most to. That's what question, like if I see any deal, like I'm going to look at it and look to take it down myself first, but I'm always, you know, if I can wholesale and make a big spread, I'd be a fool not to look at that. Yeah, for sure. The question that always goes through my head is who, who's it worth the most to when I look at anything. And if I think like, well, this guy has a huge team and he's a great operator and it's a, you know, 300 unit building in one spot. And there's somebody that specializes in operating that like, you've got to at least call him and get one partner up with them for sure. To see, you know, what his situation is. If he's really looking to buy something, you know, a, a lot of it's timing. Like somebody will really want to buy something today and they won't two weeks from now. Yeah. So it's a matter of checking in with those people and growing your network. I mean, got to grow your network. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. When it comes down to the interest rates, I think something that a lot of people are forgetting or getting overwhelmed with the interest rates are, it's very simple. It's like, there's still deals out there, right? There's more buyers that are sitting off to the sidelines instead of in the game right now. And there's still problems. There's still sellers that need to sell these deals, right? So at the end of the day, if you can make the numbers work on a deal today, you're in a really good standpoint because if you believe that the interest rates are going to keep going up, then you just save money, right? You're locking something in. It's still cash flows. It makes sense. On the contrary, if you believe that they're going to go down in the future, you can always refinance down the road, right? So if you can make the numbers work today, you're in a really good spot. And a lot of people are just counting themselves out or you know, waiting down the road and just sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, now's the time to make aggressive offers. Yeah. I like that. There's just fewer buyers in the area. Like you said, there's fewer buyers in right now than there was a year ago, for sure. I mean, it's dwindled a lot. Sure. So, yeah, that's good. Take offers. Be aggressive with offers. Right now is a good time to be aggressive with offers. 
Yeah. And I love how you said, you know, who, who's it worth the most to at the end of the day. So networking with everybody in those markets and seeing like who really wants this deal the most to see, you know, at the very least partner up with them, reach out and see if you guys can partner it and, and make it work. But talk to me when it comes down to lead generation, you're not doing bandit signs anymore, right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't be afraid to right now. Be yeah, right. Signs, but no, I don't do bandit signs. They're they're pretty picky. I mean, a guy here in town got fined like six thousand dollars for running them. They're pretty picky. No kidding. He ended up getting off it, but yeah, it was. Wow, wild. small uh, town, man. They're getting you. <laughs> That's yeah, tough. I mean, they're just super picky here in town. But uh, he put his real number on there, huh? <laughs> uh, no, they. I mean, he didn't, but it's a small town. So they figured, yeah. it, I mean, it's not rocket science. They kept falling, I imagine, but he got out of it. So don't, it yeah, don't worry about that guys. Keep don't going. Keep pushing. <laughs> They're probably not going to put you in jail. Probably not. Don't quote yeah. push, push it to the limits. <laughs> but now uh, I'm talking to a lot of brokers. I mean, a lot of these bigger deals, they don't get to the market. Yes. And so you just always want to be checking in with brokers. I mean, I like an old school realtor. One, like my realtor I deal with mainly here in town, he's very good at networking. He's a social butterfly. He's loud, yeah. he's obnoxious, he's great. And so you want one of those guys for sure on your team. I love finding those newer guys that are skyrocketing, you know, in the market. There's always a few of those in your market that you want a newer guy that's all of a sudden starting to do a lot of things like newer as in, you know, five to 10 years old. Sure. And you want an old guy not yeah. not like their first year, right? Not that kind of new. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it yeah, depends. I, I like them a little more seasoned. Than the yeah, a little bit more experience helps. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as they're a social butterfly and making calls, you know, they're, they're good. And then the other yeah. broker I like is this old school guy who's got about like five to 10 clients, but he's in like the top five in your area every year. That's good. All he does, he's got really tight relationships with old school clients and they want to do easy deals. They don't want to screw around and get beat up on price and haggle back and forth a million times and go through inspections and get stupid stuff called out. Like they're just old school guys. They, most of their clients have a lot of net worth and therefore they're, you know, sometimes it's just a bad management service. Sure. I mean, that's the type. They're getting killed by a management service, but they bought their stuff in, you know, 2011, 2012. Yep. Win value, so they're not afraid. You know, they're not going to lose money on the deal, but they just want it done with. Yeah, it's good. So building those relationships over time, like how did you network with some of these guys? How did you meet some of the high level players? Is it as simple as you know, with a broker, for example, just looking at the at the records um, and seeing year after year who is doing those bigger level deals? You should be checking with the higher brokers in your area. Whoever's doing the most, you want to be checking in with them. And it's going to take a while. They're going to tell you to, you know, yeah. screw up for a while. But like, if you're persistent, it's going to help. And you just, you got to keep doing, keep doing deals and keep putting your name out there and keep bugging them. I mean, my realtor was so loud and obnoxious. I mean, he checking in with people every day. So that helps. Like, and I have him do a lot of that work and he's good at that. But you just, you got to just keep checking in. And yeah, it's a good idea to know all the brokers in your town doing the most. I mean, I like the guys who are doing the few amount of deals, but they're the biggest deals. Like, sure. you get in with those guys and do what you can to find, find them before they hit the market. So you at least yeah. have a shot. 
and persistence is really the key with this, right? You know, in the beginning, just like you said, they're going to kind of give you that, that, uh, that wall, right? They're going to put up the wall. They're going to push you off because there's a bunch of people that are reaching out to them, kind of wasting time and so forth, you know, from time to time. And they want to work with people that are going to perform, that they have faith in, that they know is going to close and it's not wasting their time, that they're going to be able to make money together, right? So when they actually start sending you some deals with pro formas and everything, it's really important uh, and I want to hear your kind of take on this. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I would say it's really important to really underwrite some of the deals. And some of the first ones are going to be like the bottom of the barrel that they're going to, the ones that they can't get off, they're going to send over to you to see, you know, kind of test you and check to see, does this guy know what they're talking about? And are they going to underwrite this, send it back to me and give me the true reasons why it's not going to work for them? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have the, a real simple underwriting process which one, I want to know the situation of the manager and the situation of the seller. So figure out what the situation is. Because I mean, I just, I looked at an asset the other day, but the guy is just loaded and he has no urgency to get rid of it, but it's exactly what I wanted. It's townhomes in town here. There's like 30 of them together. It's exactly what I wanted. He was willing to do a seller carryback, but the numbers do not work. Yeah, he's not motivated. And he's not motivated at all. So I'm like, well, let me know. You know, if something changes in a few years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you get motivated and want to sell and come so, down to these numbers. Yeah. 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 Give me the situation. I love the older people that are managing their own stuff. Yeah. I love the people that bought it right. And then they just have a really bad manager. So just mm. figure out the situation. I like to know the bed bath count and the price per unit. So give me the bed bath count. You know, how many two ones are in the units, how many one, ones, three, whatever. I want the bed bath count. And then I want the age of the building. I mean, anything, the newer they are, the less CapEx you're going to have. I mean, you get into that, that eighties to 2000, you gotta, you gotta be ready for some HVAC systems Yeah, in our area for sure. I don't know how it is in California. You probably ain't using that much. You guys don't use hardly any energy out there. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you want to, the year builds very important. The newer, the building that just less problems you're going to have, the better the plumbing is. I mean, you get something down in the 60s, you're probably going to, you got to look out for plumbing. You're just going to have more maintenance issues the older it is. I want to, the age, age is super important. I want to know the bed bath count, the age of the building, and I want to know the situation. Make sure the utilities are separated. I don't know how it is out there, but sometimes the utilities aren't separated and your expenses are going to be outrageous. So just double check the utility situation. Now, it can be very costly to actually separate that yourself, but it can be a huge value add, you know, down the road, obviously. So that could be something that if you can make the numbers work, um, that you could actually implement as your, you know, your forced appreciation, right? Yeah. And and you can do a chargeback too. I mean, it's not the end of the situation. I just like them all separated because everything's easy. For sure. Do a chargeback situation to each tenant, which is an easy way to bump up rents and which adds value to the property. But I like to get those factors and then break it down to a price per unit. Okay. You got a hundred unit building, you know, I know. And then you want to run comps the same way. So you're looking at what everything's selling. And, you know, if it's a newer building, your price per unit's going to, you can pay a little more. If it's an older building, your price per unit's lower. If there's something on the market now for 70,000 a unit, which Normally, that's a pretty good price here in town, but it's not the best area. It's old. They're getting killed on maintenance. 
Yeah. The NOI is just garbage. So there's kind of a sliding scale, you know, but I'd pay, you know, a hundred per unit on something that's built in like 2010. Like that's no problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, when somebody's getting killed on management, and that's that's obviously a huge problem. It's one of the main five that you listed here. You know, what does that even look like? The tenant clientele. I mean, you can drive by the building. You got trash all over the place. Yeah. That's going to be a rough culture. Yeah. And you just have to know that going in, it's going to take some time. The worse the culture it is, the longer it's going to take and the more money you're going to have in it. Wow, that's good. So the culture of the building you're getting into is important. Like, I mean, there's some older buildings, but the culture, I mean, we did a deal in May and Kansas where the culture wasn't that bad. I think it's going okay. I'm just on a syndication on it, but it seems to be going okay because the culture wasn't bad. But when you get into a real bad culture, you just want to get it cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> Usually you can't. Yeah. But it just, no, I mean, you're going to have to kick people out and changing a culture is not the easiest thing to do. And it's just going to take a little bit of time. Okay. So it's not necessarily like the management fees or anything. It's just how they run business naturally and how they oversee the building and the tenants, like what they allow to get away with. Yeah. That builds the poor culture, which ends up being just poor management. And you know, you got to kick them out right when you get in find somebody that has balls to start turning things around. But the, the culture is at that building, the longer, you know, yeah. it's going to take to have the turnovers and really stabilize this property. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can drive by, you should be able to tell in the parking lot, just driving by the parking lot. I can tell you see trash everywhere. You see all these cars are home during the middle of the day. Like when the parking lot's empty during the middle of the day, it's usually a pretty good culture because everybody's at work. That's when good. Parking lots full during the middle of the day. Good luck. Everybody yeah. around on housing. Yeah. They ain't got jobs. They, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. When you see people hanging out on the stoops, smoking cigarettes and stuff, you know, during the day, it's like, I mean, of course you can have a night job, but yeah, normally that's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. I love that, man. So talk to me when it comes down to and, and so that was a five, right? Just to make this clear, because you know, I took a bunch of notes. I hope the listeners are taking notes here, but it comes down to the situation. The top five here are what's the situation with the manager? What's the situation with the seller? Yeah. Right. And then the bed and bath count, right? Mm-hmm. That's very crucial because we need to kind of backtrack and see, you know, what is the the price per unit at the end of the day. Yeah. And then the age of the building. Ideally, making sure that these utilities are separated. It's not a deal killer, but it can be a lot more beneficial and just easier to manage if they are separated in the front. Otherwise, you can always build back, increase value that way, or see if you can put in, you know, as far as the capital expenditures and so forth, if you can get a good enough strong deal that you can actually put the money towards separating it yourself, that can be a huge value play in, in the future. Yeah. I love that. So talk to me with the the years of experience that you have and the number of deals that you've done, any learning curves along the way that you're like, damn it, I will never make that mistake again. I mean, I don't like touching older houses. Yeah. I mean, you just <clears throat> open up a crown of worms here, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Older houses. I mean, we have, you know, 1900 houses with yeah. and laugh throughout them. I mean, I'm holding some of those and we're making okay money, but we just got killer terms on them. But the older the house is, the more problems. And then the other thing I see, like, I just remember going into a lot of houses 
I love when the, the owners were real meticulous. Hmm. You go into a house that, you know, dogs shitting all over, like you just have a nightmare tenant and the owner just wants out of it. But there's been a nightmare tenant for like five, seven years. Like every day they're doing something, they're just letting something go. And you don't know what that is. So you, when you walk into that situation, just know there's going to be a bunch of surprises. So you oh, of course. And when you got a meticulous owner, like I'm not afraid to pay quite a bit more when I can go in there and see like, there's not a speck of dirt in this place. Like I remember buying a house for like 75,000. The owner was just so meticulous. Like the HVAC was just cleaned. Like, you know, they got all their records, everything yeah. like, just not going to have surprises. Yes. Yeah. Like, when you have somebody so detailed, analytical, and like has the records, you can see their everything is flawless that would be way more of a surprise if they're like hiding something right versus the person that is just letting anything go you already know that there's going to be a bunch of things that they have no idea about that they let go that they don't show up to the property or anything yeah yeah you're just getting a lot more surprises with equal money yeah you know it's funny when it comes down to you mentioned the age you know the, the older it is there could be just a can of worms that you're opening up. We have a bunch of properties over in Ohio and a couple of them are the early 1900s, like 1920. And man, it is like, luckily we bought good, right? Like we got good numbers, but going through these projects, doing the full renovation. And then like, just like you said, it is opening up. You never know until like you start getting behind the walls or seeing like, dang, all the things that you're working with. The only thing I can say with those is that the craftsmanship is so nice, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Right? sometimes. But plumbing, I mean, <laughs> on our rentals, like, you know, I think it's like 70 to 80%. All you're going to get our plumbing. So yep. if they went and redid the plumbing in an old house, like, I don't mind that. Yeah. Because, yeah, the craftsmanship's nice. But yep. sometimes that the plumbing will get you more often than not. Yeah, it's always the plumbing. Like, that's exactly what it is. It's the plumbing that yeah it will just be a nightmare so make sure when you're going into these deals that you're underwriting for stuff like that anything else that you would give to somebody that's like any tips or tricks that you would give to somebody brand new that's starting out that that wants to kind of get bigger you know they they might have been doing smaller wholesaling for a while now the, the last couple of years but they're looking to get into bigger deals you know looking at the 50 to 100 unit deals to me it's easier well, there's the four referability habits, which are do what you say you're going to do, say and thank you, show up on time and finish what you start. So if you do those four things, you're getting, no matter what, do those four things. Yeah. Or people won't want to deal with you. But if you keep doing those four things over and over, like, you know, don't say you're going to close by the 30th and not close by the 30th. Yeah. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. And if you do that over and over and over again, People start coming to you with all their, you know, you just get more action and people start coming to you. It's they, that's what they call it, the four referability habits. Yes. So you just start getting automatic referrals. So do that. And the other thing, the tip I use every day is I really focus on supply and demand. This guy I was working for in college, he was a construction guy, but he was, I don't know, he worked for one of the presidents or something. He was in politics and stuff, but he's like, no oh, wow. business supply and demand, Dave. That's all you got to worry about. And so I just, I'm always focused on the supply and demand and I like going deep into it. Like we just did a deal on a, on a 12 plex where the only reason I bought it is because the supply and demand, they had laundry in the units. So I knew the supply and demand of 
two bedroom, one bath apartment buildings, less than $1,200 in this town pretty much doesn't exist. Mm, that's good. And these people are getting $800 a month rent across the board on these. So I know instantly I can, you know, a 50% rent increase from 800 to 1200. I can instantly go up that much. So I know that the ceiling of the building is really high. So yeah. that's the reason I bought it. Cause I mean, I walk in the other building, the building like a week before. And the lady's like, yeah, we have 40 of these units that have washer and dryers, but there's a waiting list on them. And like, we have five other vacancies on the other, they had like 150 units where they had a bunch of vacancies over here, but they're like, yeah, we have a waiting list with the washer and dryers of the units. So just dive really deep into every little supply and demand analytic you can get. And that just helps you make offers. That's good. Is there anything that you do to increase like the, the properties that you actually hang on to, right? Because obviously you go into each deal looking to hold on to them. However, you're always going to run the numbers like, hey, if I can cash out right now and make a big lump sum, I'd be stupid not to. But for these deals that you are actually keeping yourself, is there anything that you're always kind of going down that checklist of, hey, I want to do this to increase the the value, You know, maybe do coin-operated laundry if that's not the case yet or anything like that? Uh, well, I like the washer and dryers in the units. There's yeah. a new, I mean, you really have to take a look at the leasing process. I mean, I hired a leasing agent because my property managers, I have kind of a couple different ones and none of them have a very good leasing process. So, so you're talking about kind of onboarding new, new. <clears throat> yeah. The best way to increase rent a lot of times is just have a really good leasing process. That's good. Yeah, you need to be marketing for new tenants better than anybody. Like there's a million different ways to market for new tenants, but you're, I mean, a lot of times the property manager will have basically like a chat bot or a robot and, and it doesn't really work. And you have to, tenant will look for your apartment and they'll click on something and they have to click through three different things to even look at remotely look at a showing. Yeah. It's complicated. And they don't like that, but like, yeah, we kind of personalize that process. So we're getting really, really good rents. So I would just look at the leasing process is very important. I think it's the most underrated thing in property management right now. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And you, you never really like you don't hear enough people actually talking about that, right? They always say all these other things, but that's such a key. That's like the bread and butter, right? Like if if you're just marketing properly to get the well qualified tenant, and if you can target them properly, you know, and and capture them, speak their language, then you're gonna get good quality people and make it, you know, just simple, simplified for them, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you just have to help these tenants out and it depends on the building, but just my leasing agent, having her on staff and I get a deal with the property manager because they kind of don't have to do it. Yeah. But we're, we're getting, I mean, 20 to 40% higher rents than the property manager would be. I love that. So she's worth her weight in gold because, you know, that goes for years down the road. Like if we get hundred dollars more, like the, the property management company, I don't think they could get a thousand for these units. We're getting 1200. Yes. You know, $200 a month all year. Yeah. Um, So that's its weight in gold right there. That pays for it. But basically, you're saying have your your property management company, but then, you know, work out even a better deal, make it a little bit less because they aren't responsible for renewing leases or getting new tenants in. You have a leasing agent that does exactly that, that specializes in, in that key thing only. Yeah. I love that. That's what's been working for me. Like you just, I would definitely check your property management leasing process. Yeah, that's good. When it comes down to locations, is there other 
you know, locations that you're really looking forward to this year that you're kind of keeping your, your head in? Or is there any markets that you're like, you'll never go into again? I mean, everybody seems to be shifting out of blue states. Yeah. And going to red states. So, I mean, For many reasons. <laughs> many reasons, reasons here. I mean, but I mean, you can make money. I know a guy in Chicago, he's as good an investor as I know that's just killing it on houses. Sure. But there's rents declining, people are moving out. It's what I heard the other day. So I'm more afraid of blue states. I mean, I don't mind California. That little niche of Orange County is pretty good because it seems kind of red. There's not, a, I mean, the Uber laws from LA to Orange County were completely different. Like they really? had to wear a mask in LA. Well, they didn't have to do none of that in Orange County. They didn't have to wear the mask. The Uber driver was, you know, I'm learning from the Uber driver out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I'm not, I wouldn't be afraid of that little, they call it the orange curtain or red curtain in Orange County. Like that's such a nice place because it's a slight red community in a big blue state. And then the other, I have a land deal going in Austin, Texas, which is basically the opposite, which is a, it's a democratic town in the middle of a big red state. So, I mean, to me, it's, it takes all kinds of kinds to make this world go around. Like we need them both. <laughs> the truth is usually somewhere in the middle, but like, like I think Austin, Texas, Elon said it's going to be a big real estate boom. I mean, you read everywhere that's overpriced, but we'll see. Yeah. And the the other grand scheme of things is I really like A and B assets, class A and B right now, because I heard through the last downturn that rougher areas just get hit the worst and you lose the most money in like C minus D areas. Those people just give up and it like it's a culture. But the class A and B areas, I really like newer build townhomes. I really like because we're getting really good rent out of them and it's just less problems. Yeah, that's good. I love it. Dave, talk to me, man. What's the future look like for you? What kind of goals do you have this year that you're trying to take down? I love how you have simplified real estate to this point and the lifestyle you're living. But I'm really curious, where are you trying to take this thing? I'm probably going to start some sort of wholesaling multifamily class just because I get a phone call every other week with some guy like, how do I do this? I'm like, well, the, this is, an, oh, so it's just like houses. Yes. It's, 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 it's <laughs> oh, it's easier. And then a lot of it's like restructuring contracts is really all you're doing is re, is structuring sure. the deal. So I'll probably do a, a class like that in depth here. It's going to take me three to four months, but I'm, I'm working on that. I'm visualizing that in my head. I mean, I want to get, I got a big revenue. I want to get to $12 million net worth or net revenue. I set a, I set a goal of increasing my net worth or revenue every year. This year's 12 million. Yeah. And I've kind of broken it down to where, yeah, ideally I'd like to do 12, $1 million deals. And just, so I only got to do 12 deals. Yeah. <laughs> but I've broken it down to, I'll probably do, you know, a couple, I want to do a couple six figure deals. And then I'd like to do a $500,000 deal. And then I want to do $6 million deals this year. Let's go. Yeah, man. That's exciting. Dude, you got to let me know when you get the program together and the course or just the education platform, because I know out of everybody that I talk to about this exactly, like I know you know what you're talking about. I know that you got the heart to serve and you're going to be able to impact so many people. So I'm very excited that like somebody's doing this and there's nobody better than you to actually be able to put this info out there to to get it in the right hands, right? Well, thank you. And yeah, I mean, I 
I've been doing it a long time and I just, yeah. it's time I got to start giving back or I'll go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Dave, how can people get a hold of you? Facebook and Instagram. I'm like never on there, but you can message me on there. Those are probably the easiest ways. I don't do a lot of social media, but I'm, I'll get to it this year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Get that branding going. I love it. Yeah, I need to. Okay, cool, man. Well, I appreciate your time greatly. This was fire. I got a bookload of notes here. So I'll definitely be going over this and and journaling this more later. But I know all the listeners, you guys took a tremendous amount of notes and, and value from this as well. By all means, Dave is an amend, like just tremendous dude. And you can definitely reach out to him, connect with him, ask any questions that you might add value to him, send some amazing high level deals as well. And who knows, maybe you guys can partner up. With that being said, though, if you guys want to connect with me, you can always do so on Instagram. It is Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, Facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. And then if you're looking to get educated on credit and really learn how to get up to $500,000 at 0% interest every six months for yourself as a business owner and so much more, honestly, travel hacking, purchasing properties with credit, and just like Dave got started leveraging good debt at 0% interest so that you can really scale your business, then reach out to us. You can check us out at creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. And as always, hit that subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Leave that five-star review. Greatly appreciate all the love and support lately. You guys are amazing and just greatly, greatly appreciate all of that. So we will see you on the next episode. Dave, you're the man. We will talk soon. God bless. Thank you. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.